So there's there there are two possibilities going on here. One, you're you're bringing up a term that I have never heard before. The the other possibility is that this is a term I've heard before, but it involves a language that uses pronunciation that's different from Latinate, and so you have no idea how to say it properly. An intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film. You know, it's been over 20 years, but spoilers. Oh, okay. So so the resident Catholic thinking about that, we're going for low Earth orbit. There is no rational here. Blame it on me after. And you know I will. I mean, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. <laughs> I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I'm just kind of excited that like you and producer George will have something to talk about that basically just means that I can show up and get fed. visited by the COVID fairy uh, this past week. Uh, my, my wife and son uh, both tested positive. So uh, I managed uh, to somehow make it the entire week without developing symptoms uh, or testing positive. And uh, my wife is, my, my son recovered basically instantaneously. He's five. He, unless he's deathly ill, there's no way to tell he's sick. Um, and, and my wife, uh, had a pretty rough few days, but she is now turning a corner and, uh, tested negative today and was heading out and, and doing stuff. Well, so it's the first time she's been out of the house in a week. And, uh, one of the places she went to sadly for our bank account was target. And, uh, she, she did a week's worth of retail therapy in about two and a half hours. And uh, one of the one of the things uh, that she picked up was a a new bubble machine for our for our son to put out in the backyard to to make bubbles for him to chase around. He he had one that broke, and uh, I was talking to her on the phone as she was on her way home, and she mentioned the bubble machine. I had the phone on speakerphone. My son lost his mind. <laughs> He was so fucking amped about this bubble machine. She got home and needed help bringing stuff in from the car. And all he could keep asking was, where's, which bag is the bubble machine? Where's the bubble machine? We got to bring in the bubble machine. We brought it in. I took it out of the packaging. I put the solution in. I filled the tank up with water the rest of the way, like the instruction said. I put batteries in it. We set it out on the back patio and and he was in seventh heaven like mm. just and um i went and and i went back inside the house and she and i were talking in the living room 
and um i i now i don't remember the exact uh the exact exchange but um we heard him uh we, we said something that he heard and and he responded to us from from the the back patio i love target at the top of his lungs <laughs> And it was just like, you know what? I, I kind of wanted to be grumpy about the amount of money my wife decided to drop on one trip to Target. But like, I can't because that level of of joy is like, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't find fault. Like, so, so yeah, that was, that was, that was my moment today was hearing my, my five-year-old son give his allegiance to a, to a retail outlet uh, for 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 a bubble machine so there you go peak capitalism plus parenthood i don't know how about you well i'm damien harmony i'm a latin and high school u.s history teacher up here in northern california um i i gotta say you you need to work a little bit more on your son uh last i checked target is not a union store so hey good point heads up yeah all right uh i didn't choose the pension life uh, the pension, pension life chose you, us. Uh, really. But, yeah. but yeah. Uh, speaking of purchases and what have you, um, I am now the, I'm not going to say proud, but I'm now the owner of a new car. Uh, okay. Bought, bought a new car on Thursday. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, the, the Millennium Falcon was breaking down, and the problem that it obviated itself with uh, last time two years ago cost me a significant chunk of change. Okay. And so I figured I should maybe put that toward a new vehicle instead of yeah. maintaining this old one. Um, my dream okay. car was the Millennium Falcon. Uh, my dream car was the Honda Odyssey, and I got to okay. ride that for 11 years of glorious bliss. Um, I now have okay, so, a CRV hybrid. Okay. So, quick question. Sure. When you bought the Millennium Falcon, indeed, did you buy it new or was it a yes. used car when it came to you? No, no, it was new. Okay. Yeah. All right. So unlike the original Millennium Falcon, yeah, uh, it only had one owner. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Okay. All right. No, no. just, okay. just we, 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 uh, I, my, my family's tradition mm-hmm. is we buy used cars and we drive them until, until the wheels fall off of them. I'm and, still trying to develop traditions. Pre-owned. Yeah. Okay. That works. So yeah. Okay. I, right. no, I, I went for new different, different, yeah. different worldview. So, okay, cool. Yeah, no. That's so, awesome. uh, went for new and, uh, it's, it's a lovely ride, but it was not available until the following day. So they gave me a loaner. Well, because singled out on a budget, I bought the lower version of the CRV, not the upper mm-hmm. version of the CRV. Mm-hmm. The loaner, however, was mm-hmm. the upper version. So yep. I had a flowers for Algernon moment. Uh, when I picked up my new car, but, but that's okay. Um, I still like it just fine. Here's okay. the thing that I am curious about you, uh, because I found this to be true with me, and I asked my partner, and she said, it, it, yeah. "So um, I'm collecting data. Okay. Um, when you get a new car, yeah. do you take to it immediately, or is there kind of a feeling out process for a couple weeks of you getting to know its dimensions?" Hmm. Let me let me think for a second. Sure. Um it has varied. Okay. It's not it's not always the same. Mm-hmm. Um now when when we say feeling out its dimensions like mm-hmm. 
like learning not like you're keeping two and ten while you're turning through the turn in okay. the city and stuff like that you're not just single-handing it and like you know oh yeah driving, okay i mean yeah no getting know. getting getting used to the turn radius getting used sure. to starts and stops and all that kind of stuff yes Yes, okay. that's that is something that is something that takes a little bit of time. It's not an instantaneous thing, right? And you would um, think that for a person such as myself, who who is incapable of understanding how space works, that this would take a long time <laughs> or for direction, me. right? Or, right. Yeah. You know, you would think yeah. it would take a long time for me. Yeah. I took to this immediately. Like I was okay. a bear and a Studebaker. Um, and okay, this is the first time, and I'm sitting there going, like, is this a sign of depression? Is this a, <laughs> is this I just don't care anymore? Like what's going on? You well, know, I've left okay. my dream I, car behind and I'm perfectly fine, uh, you know. I you know, I'm I'm know. going to theorize. Okay. You went from uh one you went from one one vehicle in a category to another vehicle in roughly the same category. A similar one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so it's like Ted Williams so, becoming a fighter pilot. Like y- yeah, okay. I, you know, yeah, I mean sense. Like, like, um, I mean, to use, to use an example, my, my dad as an aviator mm-hmm. went from the, uh, F4 Phantom to, to the A4 Skyhawk. And of course, in that case, there's a whole lot more buttons and, you know, bells and whistles and dials. Sure, but, but they rhyme. So it makes sense. Well, yeah, and there's that, but, um, and, and the fact that, um, you know, the throttle throttle works the same way, stick works the same way, and right, they're right. both they're both jet aircraft. Mm-hmm. Meant that, like, it was a lot easier for him to adjust between those two than sure. when he then went to the P three Orion, which is a four engine turboprop aircraft. And doesn't rhyme with the other two. Yeah. And doesn't rhyme with the other two. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. you know, I, I yeah. think I think you know same same class of mech. Sure. Have the same kind of handling characteristics. Okay. Yeah. Like I went you know, for a, a Loki Prime. Uh, yeah. Or from my beloved Loki Prime to a Loki Five. There you go. Um, yeah. So like there you, go. you know, in in my own case, uh, my prior car before the Juke that I drive now, my prior car was a Mazda Miata. Right. Um. And so that was like going from an A wing to, mm-hmm. uh, a Razor Crest. Uh. Yeah. 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 Since that's okay. what I nicknamed it, which mm-hmm. might not have been a great idea because I've now had two windshields busted out from under me. And yeah. Um, but I yeah. named mine the no. Quinjet. So we'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> Sun's getting real low. How many of how, hey, big guy. how many how many of those get shot up over the course of Well, that's the thing. I didn't name it a mark, whatever. It's just the Quinjet. So mm. anyway, so I'm a anyway, I'm a yeah. happy guy okay. uh with my new cool. car. Gonna take the kids out on a Sunday ride. Um, nice. I, I bought the goggles and the, 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 the leather cap and the gloves oh, and cool. the, the right, silk like scarf it. for my nice. Sunday driving. So cool. Good. Good. Yeah. And here's a cool thing. Uh, yeah. we have with us, uh, a, a gentleman <laughs> who is chasing his PhD, a gentleman who is one year into his PhD study. So, uh, certainly more educated than both of us and certainly more desperate for housing. Uh, yeah. Mr. Andrew Sutherland, uh, Andrew, how hey. are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Um, my name is Andrew Sutherland. I and as you said, thank you for that warm introduction. Um, I am. I don't think I'm that educated. I I say some of the dumbest stuff in uh my grad program, and it's sometimes it gets a laugh. Our bar is <laughs> um, low, so yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am a. I just finished up my first year in my PhD program. Um, 
and to be a little bit more specific, I study communication studies. Uh, specifically, uh, my expertise is within media literacy, and I look at the intersections between health communication and uh, political communication. More specifically, I I look at basically the worst stuff. Um, the way I talk about it is media literacy psychophysiology which studies how the body and the mind kind of interacts as you engage with media or new information and uh the cultic milieu uh which studies these types of subterranean ideas such as conspiracy oh, okay. theories cults um political extremism and my personal favorite stuff snake oil medicine and stuff like that or alternative oh, okay. lifestyles okay. so Wow. The way I describe myself to my cohort is I know the worst stuff at all times. <laughs> so so you have a therapist, yes? Oh, absolutely. Good. I love therapy. <laughs> Good. I was gonna I, I think I, I think we <laughs> you better. Oh um, my goodness. I, I I might as well just do my plug now. Um yeah. I highly recommend getting in therapy. Uh do it. It's great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, I, I, I presume, um, also you're on some level of liver medication for the drinking you also do in addition to, <laughs> I <laughs> can't, I can't imagine only doing one or the other. Wait a minute. I, I'm, do you mean, when you say therapy, do you mean beer? I just no, make sure. I mean, okay, cool. actually okay. talking to somebody. No, that's, that, that's <laughs> I, just me. I'm, no, okay. I'm the only one who does that, Damien. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I make it clear. <laughs> I do enjoy an occasional beer, but during uh, the COVID pandemic, um, I there was one day where I drank a little bit too much wine, like mm. an entire bottle, and I broke okay. my computer the day before grades were due. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I had a friend who gave me the bottle of wine who felt like, oh, he's obligated to help me, uh, and he got me. There you go. He yeah. Let me use his computer to submit grades, uh, but <laughs> everything worked out. So yes. after that, I I. I was like, ah, this is a stressful time. Let's kind of cut back on the beer and drinking. Just, just hearing you say that, my adrenal glands cut in. Yeah. <laughs> oh but uh, yeah, no, like, okay. like I said, um, I, I study media literacy. That's kind of my uh expertise. I have a passion for uh, basically using my research interests to find ways to teach people how to combat against mis and disinformation. Oh, man, um, are you on the right episode then? Oh, my God. I know. Cow. I, yeah. And you guys are always accurate. Uh, <laughs> Good. I like this. Glad to hear that. I like Good that. Enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I love your podcast. Um, but um, yeah, and in ways you guys kind of helped shape my research interests in certain ways. I was... Before the episode, I was telling Damien, uh, your guys' episodes on uh, masculinity actually made me start thinking about like a certain research topic about using media literacy to combat against this um, subterranean online community known as the Manosphere. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is made up of like... Um, these types of incels, uh, alpha bro, pseudo bullshit uh yeah, oh yeah. am i allowed Andrew to curse Tatis. on your podcast oh, ed always yes. does so yeah okay yeah. all right fuck yeah, yeah. let's do it yeah. um yeah just uh, i'm the most vulgar and i swear the least yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to I, I have see i teach i teach middle school so like yeah the, you when, yeah. when i'm not in the classroom i have to have a i have to have a release valve 
yeah. my and, and my girlfriend uh this is her last year teaching third grade in texas uh oh, oh wow uh, yeah yeah um Oof. yeah she her jo- i love her so much she she's the light of my life but we do have a like a little inside joke about like oh she's only dating me to get out of texas which fair <laughs> yeah. uh fair yeah. uh yeah <laughs> you gotta they do. say the devil went down to georgia but they didn't talk about his uh his sabbatical in texas <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> wait wait no overshot georgia and landed in florida yeah yeah well cool uh tonight we're gonna be talking about um somebody for whom you need a lot of media literacy to to sift through um uh, tonight we're gonna be talking about hulk hogan media made media murderer um oh yeah so uh i like that i like that thank you a lot of the alliteration uh Mm -hmm. h-h-m-m cool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, mm again, yeah, mm and mm the the episode that'll make you go, mm. Mm. not unlike the Dark Crystal episode, which made you go, mm? Mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I've got a lot of research here, so let's dive into it. Um, for starters, Terry Bollea is a hard man to write about, uh, and so is Hulk Hogan. Oh. Um, and the fact that they're the same guy doesn't actually make it easier because so much of Hulk Hogan's story and life is constructed from a whole bunch of different tall tales that even the most reliable sources online are often reprints of other sources, which are themselves other sources. And quite often they lead back to stories that Terry Bollea himself has told. And how can you trust a man who sold his own chewable vitamins and pasta brand? So similar to ancient Roman history, uh oh, Ed Ed is dealing with a little one. It looks like it's okay. Okay, I muted, and he's okay. he's. Heading... I saw the door close. You chased him back with a glare. Yeah. Well done, Dad. Yeah, well. So similar to ancient Roman history, I'm going to treat this the way Livy did. Here's what is said. Here's what else is said, and here's what I think. Okay, you're, you're you're not allowed to make a Livy reference like that while I'm in the middle of taking a drink of my beer, because this is really good beer, and I'm going to wind up spitting it out, and that's not fair. Okay, well, but okay, I'm going to claim very little, very little verifiability beyond repetition of similar stories from other sources, who may well all ultimately go back to Terry Bollea. Anyway, it's it is. I mean, honestly, I might have more factual evidence on Numa Pompeius. Like <laughs> this guy Seriously? is it is like trying to nail jelly to a wall using a jellyfish as your hammer. Like he's he's really managed to successfully Uh-huh. The build, only person I think that might be sli- more slippery would yeah. be Vince McMahon himself. <laughs> well And I don't know it, about that because you know, Vince McMahon actually has to file like business paperwork that you could at least use as a documentary source. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we can also think about it like in, in the sense that um, when it comes to pro wrestling, mm. they want to maintain an image. And right. so I, I think the biggest thing is that they control, have a lot of control over their image, or in many cases, Vince McMahon has a lot of control of their, their image yeah. as well. So yeah. it, it kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. He also like, oh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like when 
you're going to eventually talk about it, but like sure. probably the main history of like Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. is really where everything really begins. Not really with Terry, his first name, Terry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would change my name to Hulk, um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but uh, wow. Yeah. Well, before yeah, I get into pretty- before I dive into the hole that is Kogan, um, uh, I'm going to tell you about uh, the man who was born in 1953 as Terry Eugene Balea, who was the yeah. Third... I would definitely yeah. change my name if my middle name was <laughs> Eugene too. Uh, he's the third son of Vernice, call me Ruth Balea, and saying. the second and the second son of Pietro. My friends call me Peter Balea Jr. His mother was a dance instructor, and his father was a construction worker. Uh, Pietro Jr. was born to Peter Balea and Edith Noonan in New Hampshire. Pietro Sr. was born in Sigliano, Vercelli, Piemonte, Italy, a place known for its rice patties and not much else, um, somewhere near the Po Valley. Uh, Pietro okay. had come over to the United States by 1911, at least, as his first child was born in New York. And there's some sources that have him as having signed up for World War I. Although by the time the U.S. got into the war, he would have been nearly 30, so I'm a little skeptical. Also, by some reports, Hogan was a 10-pound baby in Georgia, but moved to Port Tampa and Florida within the first two year of his, years of his life. Like, it's... There's a lot there, but that that's as far back as I was able to dig into his life, into his his lineage. Okay, hold on. Sure. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make, make sense of the timeline here. Mm-hmm. So... Was it his father or his grandfather that came over in 1911? Grandfather. Okay, his grandfather. Uh, okay. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Pietro Sr. Yeah. Was born in Italy, um, and Edith was born in Manhattan, and those two made... Um, and Pietro and the, the records changed Pietro to Peter several times. Oh, because it was the that, early... Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was the time period when that happened yeah. like regularly. Yeah. But by 1911, uh, Pietro Jr. Uh, was was here. Okay, and is he the one that you're saying supposedly signed up for World War One? No, I'm sorry. His okay. dad is the one. Okay, his dad is the one. Who signed yeah. up. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that because I was yeah. like, okay, wait a minute, it's How confusing. Other when he was born. All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So and, he's he's the grandson. He's he's second uh, generation. Mm-hmm. Of an Italian, Italian immigrant. immigrant. An Italian mm-hmm. immigrant. Okay. Here's where his biography immediately strains the credulity, though. Um, according to several sources, he was an excellent pitcher at Little League. And according to other sources, he was a great third baseman. Those so are far, two so good. different roles. Yeah, they are, but, but they do it's... require a good arm. Yeah, okay. All but right. it's also like Little League. Right. They, they yeah. switch them around a lot. Yeah. That's, okay, good point. Yeah. But the man who would be Hulk, by his own account, uh, attracted scouts from the Yankees and the Reds in his Little League days and had a great and promising future, but for a weird underhand throw that broke his arm and he was never the same. Yeah. (laughs) No. Oh. That strains credulity to the snapping point. Yes. I'm done. And his arm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And apparently Um, his arm. What year was this? Uh, now this is when he was ten, so, so it's been nineteen sixty-three. Okay. Okay. Now it's not impossible. 
it's more um, likely that if there were scouts in the area, it's entirely possible that those scouts were already in Florida and already in that area because in the time in which Hulk Hogan was supposed to have been scouted, the Boston turned Atlanta Braves left just before he started Little League when he was nine. The Kansas City Athletics fit perfectly during his Little League days. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who I had in mind for that specific area, uh, but they didn't arrive until 1969, which would have been a little bit too late for his Little League days. And still, the Cincinnati Reds did have spring training down there in Tampa starting in 1960. So it is possible that a Red Scout saw him. And although the Yankees were in Fort Lauderdale, not Tampa, starting in 1962, prior to that, they played spring ball in St. Petersburg, which is also in the Tampa area. So again, is this possible? Yes, that scouts were there. But for a Little League game, they were just sitting down and enjoying a Little League game if they were, in fact, scouts. Yeah. 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 And this is going to happen. That's pretty much. Yeah. I kind of want to point out something. Mm. You made the point like he got injured. And that just makes me think about like all these other big name figures who will Mm -hmm. be like, I would have done X if it wasn't for Y because of Mm -hmm. this one injury. And the first name that came to my head was John Wayne. Uh, John Wayne. Um, he he was a football during his time when he was I can't remember the college but he played football. And, USC, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's so many like I'm just saying myths about mm-hmm. like his playing style and how amazing he was. And but when um World War II came around, he uh dodged the draft uh <laughs> yeah. specifically because of an injury he said from he got from football. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of other research points out that he got that injury from like boogie boarding that's right that's right yep yeah yep yeah which also explains um, why he walks funny oh yeah that's true that that particular <laughs> kind of swaying swagger uh rod stewart is is actually the example i i thought of first when you when you mentioned that other famous people because rod stewart was going to be a soccer player he was he was actually on a junior league british lower lower level league Mm-hmm. Uh, English pro soccer team uh, and wound up mangling one of his knees, if I remember the story right. Mm. And uh, that was what wound up, you know, sidelining that potential career and pushing him toward, you know, developing the the kind of uh, avocation he had of singing. So see, three people came to mind for me since we're we're sharing around the, the campfire. One, Macho Man Savage. Um, was a uh, baseball player. I think he was a catcher, and he, he ended up having some knee issues. Uh, two, um, Fidel Castro. Uh, <laughs> so, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and three, David Ikes, uh, who also was a football player who contracted. Remember, he had rheumatoid arthritis, and so mm-hmm. then he started writing all kinds of weird shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, David yeah. Ike. That yeah. David Ike Grand. conspiracy yeah. theorist. Oh yes. no. Oh she featured in oh, big great. in our V episodes. Actually. Huge so. in our V episodes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a TV uh, show that came think... out before you were born, but yeah. And thanks. Um uh oh, do you oh, think um don't if if he gives you shit for being young, don't 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 feel bad. He I'm I'm what three years older? Think, and he gives yeah. me a hard yeah. time about being being ancient, like literally every episode. Uh, so I'm just waiting for. Don't it. worry, he'll he'll turn it around and it'll come at me at some yep. point. But you were yeah, going to say, Andrew? no, it's all good. 
Yeah, I was I was going to bring up about Rod Stewart. Do you think he ever went sailing again? I don't know. I don't Sailing's know. one of his songs. Yeah, I know. Oh, gotcha. I know. I don't. Yeah, yeah I, I tried. I tried. Yeah, no. And you did well. It's mm-hmm. just I'm I'm so Thank trained you. to to respond to those uh, without giving. Uh, <laughs> you don't sell. You without, don't sell. I don't I don't sell because I don't want to <laughs> fucking encourage you. So uh, so my response is do it. always flat. <laughs> no, it's not so, you. Me. <laughs> being in Tampa growing up means that wrestling that he saw was actually pretty damn good because that's the championship wrestling from Florida ter- territory, which is called CWF. And it was dominated by the Grams, Eddie and Mike Graham, both late now, uh, both having committed suicide, actually. Um, but at that time, it was headquartered in Tampa, Florida. Uh, both of them were wrestlers and were excellent bookers. And their main talent in the 1960s and 70s was a man named Dusty Rhodes, who was a heel from about 1967 until he came to Florida and turned babyface in 74. And that was specifically in a match against Eddie Graham and his son, Mike Graham. Dusty turns on his tag team partner, Pac Song, and heel manager, Gary Hart. And at this point, he becomes the American Dream, and he was a huge draw. Um, it bears noting noting here that the CWF ran against Lawrence Welk on Saturday nights for years, and it did fine. So it's very likely that Hulk Hogan, as a young man, was telling the truth about finding Dusty Rhodes in 1969-1970 and being mystified by him. By Hogan's telling, he was he Hogan was at this the Tampa Sportatorium often and would have seen superstar Billy Graham, whose look Hogan admittedly copied as hard as he could when he broke in. Superstar Billy Graham just died this last week, um, just to date the show. Um, And a thing to keep in mind here is that Tampa was their studio-based show. It was a small 50-seat studio that had no air conditioning and lots of smoke. Um, Its loop was, I think they went from Jacksonville to Orlando to Tallahassee to Miami to Fort Myers and back to Tampa again. So that's what Hogan's growing up watching. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm I decided to look up who Billy Graham is because mm-hmm. I haven't heard of him. Oh. Um even when I used to watch. Sure. Um and he literally de- he definitely took his look uh-huh. uh, ranging from like literally the handlebar mustache all the mm-hmm. way to the hairline too. It's amazing. <laughs> now, Hulk Hogan claims to have 24-inch pythons. Billy Graham had 22-inch pythons. Mm, yeah. Mm, somebody's and, compensating. Well, not only that, but like Hogan 100% stole from Graham. Interestingly enough, uh, Graham uh, becomes one of the most... Uh, he's one of the very few evangelicals that I have some respect for because he's also incredibly self-reflective um, about his career and the damage that did to his body and the other boys. Uh, growing up or or coming through the business. So after he retires, he's very critical of the risks of hepatitis that people had, of the steroid use that he engaged in. And he's very, very honest and open about it in most interviews. So, um, or at least he's positioning himself to look that way and I was taken by it. But either way, um, he was a very soft-spoken fellow uh, throughout the rest of his retirement. And he was a a good source for some things. So Hulk Hogan, uh, Terry Belay at the time, he's 16 years old. He's going to high school. He's playing baseball, starting to work out, starting to play bass. 
of all these things, the music and the surfing, uh, he, that that is what he dedicated his 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 time to for the most. Um, although I imagine his body wasn't just genetics, he was probably working out quite a bit. And he played enough music gigs that he ended up dropping out of college and starting a band in 1976 that seemed moderately successful. Um, by more than just his account, they played at bars that the wrestlers frequented in Tampa, and he went to the gym that they also frequented. So there's a was he trying to break in or get to know them or was he just like kind of like I admire these guys I want to go where they go but regardless he is showing up at places where wrestlers show up a lot and he's built and he's fucking tall um so all right, all right. now now when the Briscoe brothers who are tag team champions at the time um they're Oklahoma shooters the Briscoe brothers are Oklahoma shooters okay so they they are really good at pro wrestling and one of them Jack Briscoe is a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, his brother is Jerry Briscoe. Uh, you might remember uh, them as the Stooges from the Attitude Area, or you might remember Jerry as one of the Stooges from the Attitude Era. Um, anyway, they came to the bar and they noticed Hogan's size and body. And Jerry Briscoe has also confirmed this story. Whether or not he's just agreeing with the mythology to to also get the likes, I don't know. Um, but Florida was also home to several touring Japanese wrestlers, as well as a nearly constant resident named Hiro Matsuda, uh, who is a very, very important wrestler in uh, Hulk Hogan's uh, history. So the Briscoes find him. They give uh, Matsuda's name to the man who would become Hulk, and, and he applied to be trained. And training in the 1970s at a wrestling school, wherever you were, was a brutal and abusive and unkind affair. Uh, for instance, Vern Gagne, I think I've talked about this. He did his best just to take people's money by making them quit um, in the Minnesota winters. He would train them so brutally. They just lay you out know, 500 hack squats, 500 Hindu squats, 500 squats. Then you're going to run the ropes for an hour. Then you're going to carry your friend up and down a parking garage. And then your friend's going to carry you up and down the parking garage. Then you're going to do 500 sit-ups. Then you're going to do 500 push-ups. Then we'll start talking about getting you in the ring. Like that kind of stuff. Gee, um, Christmas. Yeah, and, and this is not uncommon for wrestling schools either. There's plenty of wrestling schools in Jersey, uh, in Pennsylvania that did similar. And Matsuda was the trainer for the Florida Territory. And he brought all his experience to bear on the would-be wrestlers. And Matsuda had actually taken his name from a couple of other famous Japanese wrestlers who came to the U.S., both of whom were active in the 1800s and up into the 1920s. Um, Bullshit. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. It's an insane story in general. Uh, yeah, I, I, I fell down a really fun rabbit hole. It took me from Peru up to Florida, up to Minnesota. cool. Yeah, it was pretty All right. Um, but the important part here is is what Hulk Hogan is claiming about it. On Hogan's first day, Matsuda posted his elbow against Hogan's shin and broke Hogan's ankle. And then and and that's that's how you break him in. And 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 it was to test to see if Hulk Hogan would come back after healing months later. And then Matsuda knew that he was committed. Um Matsuda had a hell of a reputation for being well-versed in multiple styles, too. He wrestled in Mexico against the El Santo. You remember El Santo? Seriously? Uh-huh. Okay. The, the, the silver mask himself? Yes. Holy so he, shit. Yeah, right. Matsuda wrestled, wrestled him. Matsuda wrestled with Frank Gotch to learn catch wrestling from all the way back. Yeah, 
uh, he went to Peru. He went uh, the limit against Lou Fez. He became the first Japanese wrestler to win a singles title when he beat the legendary Oklahoman Danny Hodge for the junior heavyweight title. Danny Hodge used to just crush apples in his bare hands, um, which is hard. Uh, uh, and eventually, yeah. <laughs> Matsuda slows down and finds a place in the CWF, and he becomes the main trainer. So that's that's the legend. The reality of Hogan's story was that on his first day, he sprained his own ankle, and when he came back the next day, which is a tough thing to do, yeah. legit, Matsuda looked at his ankle and said, you know what, sit out for a week and let it heal up. And then Hogan came back a week later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that seems I was, more right. I was I was I was gonna say the uh, the you know posting his elbow and and you know that that whole story uh, reminds me of so many tropes out of so many wuja oh. martial arts stories. Oh yeah, you want to be my disciple? You know that's yeah. like and and that 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 shows up all the time in wuja, but it transcends uh, cultures. That's oh, that's like you know, yeah. Yeah, that's that's too tropey to be real. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. And you have a lot of uh, like there's a lot of like Internet celebrities who would be basically doing something similar. They would talk about like they would oversell an injury for the sole purpose of seeming tougher or mm. or just like having a better story than like I tripped and I sprained my ankle. Granted, um, that's fine, yeah. too. Don't, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 And and then like. He could have like he in reality he could have like uh, hammed it up a little bit. I broke he broke my ankle and I just went on like a mile run, but like he yeah. kind of still kept it a little bit reasonable to make the story seem realistic. Now, yeah, a lot of but this... also, how many pounds does it take to break an ankle? Probably not that many, to be honest. I mean, I broke uh, compared... mine when I was a teenager. Yeah, com- compared to. Some other joints in the body, I'd say an ankle is probably a relatively easy one thinking about all the moving parts that are involved. And all you got to do is just go and yeah, just keep just, going. Like, yeah. So get a good so, snap okay. in there. Uh, a bone can take about seven pounds of pressure. So anything higher than seven pounds. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, all right. Answers.com. Well, wow. and the thing is, is like, you know, it's kind of that, that whole, yeah. and I don't know if this is a myth, but I choose to believe it. Um, you could bite your own finger off, but for the fact that you have kind of an internal governor, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, because we could, you know, biting through your own finger is similar to biting through a carrot, apparently. Yes. Um, But we don't do it. And just say, yeah. I think the same is true about breaking someone's ankle. Like, unless you're a goddamn psychopath, you're not going <laughs> to break someone's ankle. <laughs> yeah. Un- so, unless, unless you're actually in fear for your life or you are, in fact, a, a psychotic. Or you're, uh, or you're yeah. the bad kid in a after school special. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to break an ankle. Yeah. Which made me remember a fun fact. So like this could, it could actually be like the biting of the finger could be like an urban legend or something like that. Absolutely. Um, One of the most popular urban legends tends to be like, uh, while you're sleeping, you're all, you swallow eight X spiders. amount of spite. How many right. spiders a year? Eight. Yeah. yeah. It's eight in a year is what you're supposed to swallow. Yeah. But yeah, that's. Do you know where it originated from? I think it was somebody who said something along the lines of you are close enough to eight spiders to eat them or something. No, no. Was it a mattress? thing? It, no, okay. it originally began as a research study in urban legends. No shit. 
Oh. Yeah, no, uh, a group of what I've been told <laughs> is that a group of researchers uh, decided to study like how uh, urban legends begins or... and how okay. they spread. And they wanted to create something that both sounds reasonable, but sounds sure. ridiculous at the same time. And yes. they created that. And I so, okay. yeah, and, and so that's really kind of like how it began. <laughs> and so I wouldn't be surprised if like, I mean, like, we could probably do it, but, like, bite my own finger off, but, like... I guess you'd have to get people to bite cadaver fingers off. Like Exactly. There's, there's all kinds of ethics issues, I'm sure, that this is going to run into. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's I think it's one of those things where med, med students who are, like, running on caffeine and fumes at 3 o'clock in the morning while while studying for a... For a uh, What's a bone doctor? I don't remember. Anyway, whatever the specialty. Yeah, yeah, whatever the specialty is. Orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedics. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Studying for you know an orthopedics class. You know on on caffeine and fumes. You know pulling an all nighter. Like, holy shit! You know what? You can right. generate this many pounds of. But we know from right. Whatever, you, can, you can generate. Yeah. You you could do this, and like yeah, you could. But yeah. I, so can see I, I think, I think it's more that. likely that. Yeah, I, I you know, can. I can I, totally... You can generate X amount of bite force, and then you put that into a vice and yeah. with blades, and then you yeah. put uh, a cadaver finger or the equivalent thereof. Ballistics yeah. gel is so much fun in the early 2000s. Yeah. And then see if that, you know, you, yeah. you replicate the conditions and see if it yeah. replicates the results. There you go. What I'm thinking about, and I know like both my advisors are going to be listening to this episode. So hi, Dr. Austin. <laughs> hi, Dr. Bulls. Uh, also, I, sorry I, to I, both I, of you. Yeah, No, they, they <laughs> I, I apologize to them daily. Um, they chose to accept me. So ha, ha, right, uh, they love me. They're great. Um, Dr. Bulls uh, studies psychophysiology, which uh, the best way to describe it is like, hey, you're watching something. We're going to put like uh, electrodes on your face to measure facial EMG. Sure. Uh, um, measure your pulse heart rate and uh also uh your sympathetic uh arousal nervous system okay. and i i thought about this so dr bulls here's the idea for the study um we get our vr uh vr system and create like a program where it looks like they're biting their own finger but they bite a cadaver and we measure what's going on with their body uh that might be the best approach to do it oh wow i like it okay yeah 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 yeah. Um Ugh. yeah, I it it's it's funny. Um you mentioned the, you know, let's see if this can get going. Um my friends and I uh we, we every once in a while we'll have a weird competition. My brother and I had a competition for years. Um and not really a competition because my brother always won. Um yeah. because he's smarter than me. Um but it was uh the most ridiculous reductio ad hitlerum you could do, right? So Find a thing that Hitler also did and then accuse somebody of being like Hitler. So what's that? You like vegetables? You know who else was a vegetarian? Shit like that, right? Um, so he would always win that. Like, oh, you like Blondie? And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> um, but another one that he would do was uh, that, we, <laughs> that uh, you're, you're I ended the, up. That's yeah? just the worst part of the Internet. Yes. Yes. I Yeah. Yeah, also dealing with like the extremist side of my research. I have to deal yeah, sure. with a lot of fascists. Oh, I don't know about that. Fuck. Yeah. Um, but another thing that we did was uh it was um come up with something that absolutely sounds like a sex act, but is not. Um 
And there were two formulas. There was one that was using a present participle plus a a some sort of flower or plant. Um, and the other formula was come up with a city and a mundane item. Um, and so they came up with the quivering <laughs> orchid, which 100% sounds like a sex act. And I came up with the Tampa Bay butter knife, which also sounds like a sex act. Um, quivering orchid came back to them about two years later that somebody was bragging that they got their girlfriend to give them a quivering orchid. That's amazing. What? I'm still waiting on that Tampa Bay butter knife. Um. <laughs> <laughs> don't. I, I don't. I don't know if you want to be on the receiving end of whatever that turns out to be. Or the giving end. I, like, you know, again, I, I'm, I, I am still, an apathetic switch. I'm kinda, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, no. Back, okay. back to yeah. the whole Kogan. Um, yeah. So, he... <laughs> Hogan trains with Masuda for over a year. This is an established fact. Um, and it's reported that his first match took place on October 10th, 1977 in Fort Myers against Brian Blair. Now, you might know Brian Blair as B. Brian Blair, who has both run for office and also was one of the killer bees um, later on in the WWF. But the only match that I could find that took place in Florida on August 10th was actually in Miami Beach and Blair wasn't on the card. Blair was in St. Petersburg on August 13th of 1977, and he was in Orlando in July of 24, but there's no record of him wrestling Hogan in Fort Myers, and there wouldn't have been a rogue territory at that time in that place. And here's where it gets even tougher to figure out. Blair claims that he, I, I looked for interviews on this, he claims that he had Hogan's first match in Chiefland, Florida, which is not too far from where I lived in Bronson, Florida, and that's near Ocala and Gainesville. And there certainly were smaller spot shows, so it's entirely possible that he's mostly telling the truth or telling the most truth. Anyway, Blair said that he was practicing with Hogan for their 15-minute Broadway match. Now, a Broadway is where you go to a draw. It's, it, it's, un, it's, it's possible that back then you've got a little bit more long form going on, so you have a 15-minute match for a first-timer because it takes so long to break in. And as Blair seemed to draw and lose more frequently than anything else, uh, that's also possible. So he got over by right. sympathy. Hogan was a heel at the time, and Blair had only been working since June. Uh, so both of them are green as goose shit. And according to, to Blair, uh, it was turned into a 30-minute Broadway, uh, which could have been a rib by the guys in the back. Like, they were waiting for the bell, and the bell never came. So they just kind of kept going. Um, all of that's entirely possible. It is unlikely, but it is possible. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard weirder stories. Yeah. Well, and, and there's plenty of shit. Like when you get out into the weeds of, of the, the edges of, of wrestling, I, I feel mm -hmm. like from all of the other stories you've told, Mm -hmm. Like, like the farther you get away from the searing spotlight of the big show, the more likely it is for weird shit to wind up happening. Like, does that, does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. The more carny so, it gets, the more it returns to its carny roots. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and, and the idea and the idea that, you know, the, the guys, you know, whoever it was, that was running the match would be like, yeah, no, 
keep them at it. Let them, let them, let them cook, as the kids say nowadays. Like, yeah, no, keep, mm-hmm. keep them going. Let's, let's see how long. <laughs> let's see if one of them let's breaks see what down. Happens. Yeah. Well, and in you know. comedy, that happens sometimes. Like, it's rare because you're it, comedy and wrestling have a lot of overlap. You are mm-hmm. fighting for minutes, and every once in a while, you'll be go, going really well. And the guy who runs the show is like, fucking, let's see how long he can go. It's a whole yes yeah. and type of situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So committee, it's it's a violent committee of Del Arte. Yeah. As I think I've said before. Oh, quite so. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so shortly after, Super Destroyer starts showing up on the cards. And this seems to have been Hogan's first real ring persona. Um... Uh, it's your standard masked or hooded character who was somewhat interchangeable and usable in different territories at different times. The most uh, modern equivalent we can think of would probably be Doink the Clown. There have been at least four Doinks who wrestled for the WWF, WWE, um, and now Doink is called other things, but it's basically it's 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 a standard one. Um, there was also the Mask Super Superstar, Mister Wrestling, stuff like that. So, uh, so you know, he was on some pretty cool cards that year as the Super Destroyer but not in any particularly good matches, which is fine. You know, you're, you're brand new. That's what the territory system allows for quite ultimately. And that's what masked identities are for. Now, from there, it seems that he left the CWF and managed a club in Cocoa Beach for a time. Uh, he turned down a stint in Kansas City, which makes a lot of sense because the Kansas City, ter- City territory was notorious as the territory where great wrestling happened. And it was run by Bob Geigel, the chair of the National Wrestling Alliance. And Kansas City had a long and storied history uh, and was often where a new champion would be crowned for the NWA. In other words, the pay was lackluster and the wrestling was tough and bitter. And for someone who idolized Dusty Rhodes, I can see Hogan looking at the grittiness and grimy wrestling that happened out in St. Louis and saying, you know what? I'm going to stick in Florida and just take some time off. (laughs) So we almost... We almost didn't have Hulk Hogan, but after a year away, um, he runs into a friend, his new friend named Ed Leslie, and he convinces Ed Leslie, who's really good at working out, that they should be a tag team together. And he comes back into wrestling with Ed Leslie. You will know Ed Leslie as the Brutus Beefcake. Oh. Oh. And this starts a friendship that lasts for damn near 30 plus years. It does end, uh, as often happens, because of, well, maybe I'll get to that. But superstar Billy Graham uh, helped them land in a non-Florida territory uh, in Alabama. Uh, And the two wrestled as Ed and Terry Boulder, the Boulder Brothers, uh, which made my little Avatar fan heart cheer. Um, (laughs) So have you ever seen Avatar The Last Airbender, Andrew? Yes, I have. Okay, so Um, you know that the character, the Boulder... The boulder, right? Uh, when he was fighting Toph, I yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes where he and just like just do you know gets who, wrecked. <laughs> do you know who voiced the boulder? I am gonna say no, Mick Foley. And do you know who the boulder is based on? Yet, um, no, boulder is tell another me. word for the rock, God, <laughs> who talks in the third person. So you have Mick he Foley does. of the rock and sock connection. <laughs> aping the rock as a character called the boulder oh my goodness so good oh it's just that's so meta it's so beautiful i love that's, that's I, the best kind of stunt casting it right really there. is uh, 
It yeah. really is. If I ever go to a a, a a convention and Mick Foley is there, I'm going to have him sign something as the boulder. Oh, um, man. Or I'm going to ask him to, obviously. Yeah, well, no you know. <laughs> You're going to have to. If I ever yeah. see him at a, at a convention, yeah, I'm going to have to. Like, yeah. there's no getting around it. Like, <laughs> okay. So you've got the Boulder brothers, uh-huh. and, and they found some success. And more importantly, they found exposure. Uh, the two wound up in Memphis working for Jerry Jarrett who also just died this last year. Um, it was here in Memphis that he got the nickname Hulk. And again, I had to com- track down competing stories on this one, but they all either refer back to Hogan's autobiography or they simply agree with his autobiography. He was on a TV show in Memphis, a local Memphis talk show with Lou Ferrigno. And Hogan was taller than Ferrigno, had bigger arms than Ferrigno, and at the time, the Incredible Hulk was on TV, so there you go. That's it. That's it. Okay. And that is honestly, it, it is very kind of a letdown. Yes, kind but it's of. also very plausible. I kind of want to. I kind of want to believe that just because I hear that and I'm like, that's Do we not know? nearly dramatic mm-hmm. enough to be made up. Well, well, we don't know what show it was on. It I could have been what? I what year was it? Down. 70 let's see he's in memphis so that puts it at 78 um yeah 77 78 thereabouts and that's the thing with hogan stories is like time compresses and shifts and sways um but yeah i it would have been amazing if mm -hmm. it was like an early episode of sesame street that would have been even cooler it would have been great that would have been incredible Mm mm-hmm but um thank you so uh this was this is actually plausible because people used to fly under the radar big time um when they would use music like music uh, companies wouldn't go after them for licensing because they were so low rent Mm -hmm. okay so he works for continental wrestling association this is the memphis territory the cwa Okay, it's a local small territory, and he's starting to use a decades-old, nationally known, televised name for himself. And wrestling, like I said, flies under all the legal radars, partly because of the ghettoization of carniness that it has. And this is how groups like the Freebirds got away with using that Leonard Skinner song for a while when they were in Texas and in Georgia. Um, Leonard Skinner famously wrote a song called... um, um, Freebird. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now he's yep. still not Hogan. I actually uh yeah. Yeah. You I actually, actually um one of the last records that Leonard Skinner made, you know the one where it's the street on fire and everything like that? Mm-hmm. I own one. Oh, very nice. Oh, yeah, it was cool. uh, it was my mom's, yeah. so yeah. Cool. It's a fun fact. So uh he's uh he's still not Hogan, he's Sterling Golden and or Terry the Hulk Boulder. And he's starting to make use of what's out there in the media landscape. This is this is Hulk Hogan. Um, I mean, okay. <laughs> I keep calling him Hulk Hogan because that's the name we all know him by the most. But you'll know if I'm talking about Terry or, or whatnot or Sterling Golden. So anyway, but he tends to use what's out there in the media landscape and he'll bounce around a bit between Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia for the better part of 78 to 79. In 1980, he meets a man named Terry Funk. Um, 
being from Texas, you might know Terry Funk um, from the Double Cross Ranch. Uh, one of two brothers who were both uh, champions uh, in the NWA, his brother Dory Funk Jr., um, the son of legendary wrestler Dory Funk. Um, but uh, Terry Funk also won the title. Um, so former champion Terry Funk himself introduces Hulk, Sterling Golden, Terry the Hulk Boulder, introduces him to Vince McMahon Sr., Vincent Jessup McMahon, who ran the New York Territory at the time, Newly minted as the WWF because previously it had been known as the WWWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And then he shrunk it down to the World Wrestling Federation. Now, New York was another territory, but it's it's the Beltway, essentially. So it's a 400-mile territory, which is pretty normal. Plus, you get all the upstate New York, Connecticut, all those territories. Um, you don't get Maine because that's the Grand Prix territory run out of, I think, uh, Montreal. But uh, they've got agreements. For instance, um, uh, Bruno San Martino goes up there uh, one Sunday a month. Um, so New York is a territory, but it's also a very important one from a media standpoint because there's a lot more publishing houses in New York. It was also where you had the Madison Square Garden Network which was originally known as the Madison Square Garden Sports Network, which got going in 1977. And it was a nationally distributed local sports network centering on New York sports and things like that that was owned by Gulf Western. And as such, New York wrestlers and wrestling had a bigger market than just their territory. So, okay, mm-hmm. uh, here's a question. Sure. Um, you say they had a bigger market than just than just their region. Right. Was that, did that, did that market blanket the country geographically or was Not it yet. the coasts or was it a certain distance? Like, did it get to Chicago and then stop at the Mississippi? Like it overlapped with some and Vince okay. McMahon and the WWF. So Vince McMahon senior and the WWF, yeah. they weren't affiliated with the NWA and they hadn't been since the 1960s. I remember that. Okay. Right. Um, but they were okay. still, well, they weren't under the NWA. They were still affiliated with the NWA, which helps because so you had uh, Vince McMahon and then you also had uh, Cowboy Bill Watts, his territory down south. And the both of them were used to prove that the NWA was not, in fact, a crime syndicate um, because they did not hold a monopoly because you had these outlaw <laughs> organizations. The thing is, they knew they were outlaw. <laughs> we're not the mob. Really? Right. But they were 100% the fucking mob. Um, like the stories. Oh, my God, the stories. There's a wonderful book I'll probably recommend, not at the end of this episode, but the next one. Okay. Um, but about the NWA. But um, these two guys stayed un, un, not under the umbrella so that the, the NWA could have the cover of like, see? It's kind of like that... Um, the the country club that has the one black guy or the one Jewish fellow uh, in it yeah. so that they can say, of course, we allow their kind. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's, it's look at Bob over cover. there. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, it's thin cover, but it's covered nonetheless. But the yeah. the kickback is you'll send your stars over to us fairly frequently. Um, and Vince McMahon sent Andre all over the world. Andre the Giant. Mm hmm. He tended to be the one that helped Andre the most, and Andre would, you know, get bookings through Vince. So in 1979, Bob Backlund was the champion of the WWF, 
and he was the whitest meat baby faced you could ever get. Um, and yeah. Vince McMahon Sr. hired Terry Boulder, but told him that New York has ethnic heroes. You've got Pedro Morales. He's the hero of the Puerto Ricans. You've got Bobo Brazil, who's the the hero of the Blacks. Um, you've got, I mean, because it's Vince McMahon Sr. I mean, he's he's not racially all that progressive. He still refers no, to people as not at all. the adjectives. Yeah. Um, you've got Bruno Sammartino, who's good for the Italians. Um, and you'll be Hulk Hogan because we need one for the Irish. They need one for the Irish, but the guy they're choosing to be the one for, and I quote, the Irish yes. is the grandson of an Italian immigrant. Yeah, but most Italians were playing Native Americans, so. <laughs> it's, it's all true. Or, or they were playing Russians. That was the other thing. Oh, yeah, very much. Or or they were playing Arabs. Like, Italians got a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Also, if no, you were no, that's, uh, that's if pretty you were, true. Yeah, if you were Jewish, uh, uh, Boris Malenko and Dean Malenko and Simon Malenko and and there are a few yeah. others. Um, yeah, they were all the Malenko family, but they're all Jewish people um, yeah. from New Jersey, if I recall. They, I think, yeah. I forget where they started in New Jersey. I don't remember where they'd immigrated from, but um, they, I, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so you right. Hulk Hogan will be the Irishman, and and according to Hogan. So take this with the salt lick it deserves. Um, he McMahon told him to dye his hair red, uh, because that's Irish. Um, but since Hogan was already losing his hair in 1979, he refused and he said, "I'm just going to be a blonde Irishman," um, because blonde is harder to show the baldness of. Okay, I all right. Yeah, I'll, I know. I'll, that you know again. Mm -hmm. I hear that and I'm like. I can I, I can kind of like there there are multiple right. factors that make that one mm -hmm. yeah. not immediately fail the sniff test. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and okay. all right, you know. No, I, I, I fully believe this one too. Yeah. Um yeah. it seems so, plausible. <laughs> right, right. And and uh, don't get me wrong, he lies about shit he has no need to lie about. Yeah, of this, course. This also completely makes sense. Um and it was working fine for him. Um, he wrestled on the WWF uh, for the first time in November of 79. And that was on nationalized television. So so the Madison Square Garden Network would go out to all kinds of syndicated spots. I don't yeah. know what their range was. Okay. I never got to watch the MSG Network living in San Francisco, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. Um, but, uh, but McMahon had worked out a way to get national or at least semi-national distribution for the WWF. Uh, he got it all the way to St. Louis, all the way to Los Angeles. Um, and they would air WWF championship wrestling from 71 to 86. And this show is actually also where Vince McMahon Jr. Entered into the business. He was paired with the recently retired Bruno Sammartino and soon Pat Patterson, in the time that Hogan first came to the company as an as an announcer and as an interviewer. And because of the coalescence of the New York, New York, the TV market, Marvel Comics, Hulk Hogan's name gained fame, and he ended up in a lot of top-tier feuds. He wrestled the champion, Bob Backlund, uh, in February of 1980, and he defeated him via countout. 
Backlund fell out of the ring after giving Hogan the airplane spin. So put you up on my shoulders, spin around a whole bunch. It's going to make us both dizzy. Um, so Backlund falls out. Hogan wins. So he's got a lot of heat on him. But Backlund doesn't lose a championship, right? So <laughs> shortly, shortly after this, he enters into a bit of a feud with Dominic DiNucci. Dom DiNucci is the trainer of Mick Foley. Um, oh. Yeah. So, And you also have the Irish-Italian uh, yeah. rivalry. Right. There's, you know, one of the things that occurs to me like explicitly right now, but always, always kind of pops up whenever we talk about this mm-hmm. is the extent to which within wrestling, there is like a lineage of discipleship. Yes. Like the kind of thing that in, in very traditional martial arts, you know, you have, you have, there is, there is the master, there is the number one student, you know, there mm-hmm. are the branching other students that go off and have their other schools. But like there is a tradition of studentship and discipleship, and this is the way we do these things because yes. this is how we were taught back to the first master. And and like if you just scratch the surface, you're like, oh yeah, no, this goes all the way back to you know the eighteen eighteen seventies and oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah again Frank Gotch uh, worked with Matsuda and yeah. Matsuda worked with Hogan like like that's that's, that's it. <laughs> Like right, yeah. that's that's a hundred percent it. Like wow. All right, I, so, I had to I had to get that out. So anyway, yeah, yeah. So at this point, his finisher was the bear hug, um, and also the leg drop. He used them interchangeably, um, and at this time, he's getting a ton of matches in all of them in the WWF territory, stretching from Maryland up through New England. In March, he was in Landover, Maryland. Um, he defeated Hogan defeated the champion again via count out this time at over 30 minutes. And this is establishing him as a credible threat Two victories over the champ and as a credible heel 30 minute matches with Bob Backlund are a way to make your name known because Bob Backlund could fucking go. Um, and of course he's a heel. So he's got a manager because this is a thing that happened at the time. He's managed by classy Freddie Blassie. The one okay. who yeah. coined the phrase pencil neck geek. Yeah. <laughs> um, who was really big in Los Angeles in the 1940s. Like again, Blassie had been stabbed in the throat a couple times on the way to the ring <laughs> when he was a wrestler. Like he oh, had oh, acid oh. thrown on him. Like somebody and okay, you remember like TV shows and movies where people start throwing fruit. I'm like, who brings that shit in their purse, right? Yeah. But like or in their yeah. or in their coat. I'm like, who that's brings acid? Exactly that. Like you had to think about. Like, that's not like <laughs> you're hanging out outside. Oh, there's a cup of acid here. All right, I'm gonna take it in. See what happens. Yeah, oh, like, like, somebody no, came no. in pre <laughs> Yes. What? That's an attempted murder. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Or yeah. just wrestling. Oh, and fandom. the knife yeah, and the knife through the throat. Like right. I mean, Come on. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's not like, you know, if you said, you know, the amount of stale beer that had been poured over his head, like, okay, right. I kind of see that. Sure. Like, no, no, no. Attempts were made on this man's life. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, no. Repeat. What, what happened? He, he Somebody threw acid on him? Did he just go out and wrestle? I want to say <laughs> it hit his calf. Um, and then, yes, oh, he went that's out and wrestled. Fine. That's fine. Yeah, like yeah, you do. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I, around it. It Just was injured. only a first degree chemical burn. What? <laughs> I'm coming in from what? the mindset of being like, uh, what post nine eleven, 
where most yeah. of my entertainment yeah. yeah. came from, where I needed yeah. to like get pat down and everything like that. Right. Um, and then TSA takes me out to dinner afterwards. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <But> like, um, <laughs> no, they but, should take yeah, us out I to dinner. Love afterwards, that. But, I, yeah. I need. I need the money. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, <laughs> I'm just. I'm just. I. I'm so dumbfounded here. Like somebody just threw acid but it makes oh. sense yeah and, oh, and oh. like such a like kind of a tribalistic way like the the audience uh fandoms mm-hmm. ultimately you start to develop your identity around fandoms and mm-hmm. then um you start to ultimately perceive others as a potential threat not just to your the person you're a fan of but also like to yourself in that many ways to your tribe um yeah yeah, so it wasn't just yeah. like, oh my god, it's not just, oh god, who was it? I'm I'm so dumbfounded just hearing that. Sure, like for wrestling, but oh. it makes sense. Kayfabe is um, a hell of a drug, man. That's true. <laughs> and and you you haven't even heard the stories about Philadelphia yet. Oh, it's Philadelphia. Like uh, I know, I'm a hockey. Okay, you're a hockey fan. You know, I'm a hockey fan. I know. Yeah. A couple years ago, their like owner, like manager, died, and the whole fan base just threw a bunch of batteries onto the ice at See? like the players. So yeah. it's Philly. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. We give yeah. Philly a pass. <laughs> sure. Well, or yeah, Puerto Rican wrestling. Where oh yeah. Puerto Rico, I was about yeah. to also add that like after sporting events for uh Philly, if they win, they punch horses. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, you they didn't know this? No, no. They... So like, at, like oh, what year was it that um they won the Super Bowl? We'll the pretend it was two years ago. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that. I'm time doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. But like there were there was like talks about and conversations about like. Philly fans would go out in the streets and they would just punch horses, uh, police horses, police horses yeah. in the face. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. In the teeth. Which, by the way, if you're going to punch anybody in the teeth, like a horse would be the last animal in the world. Because have you seen the teeth on a horse? Like, dude. Oh, right. But, you know. They could um, bite through a carrot. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Good callback. Nicely Thank done. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, isn't isn't Philly where they have to grease the light poles? They do. Yep. Oh god, I love <laughs> Philly. Gritty is my favorite mascot from uh, the Flyer, just in general, just because he represents the city so well. <laughs> um, just a cha- chaotic, uh, neutral creature. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. So it's late March of 1980, as best I can as I can track it. And he starts Hogan starts a program against Andre the Giant. And even that wasn't the first time he'd faced Andre. So when you're Andre the Giant, you have to go against people that can be credible threats to you. Right. So having a guy like Sterling Golden, I mean, Terry Boulder, I mean, Terry, the Hulk Boulder, I mean, Hulk Hogan, um, having having a guy that big is a credible enough threat because he's fucking huge. Um, they had matches in Southwest Championship Wrestling, which is the San Antonio territory, which is run by Joe Blanchard, father of Tully Blanchard. Um, but those weren't at the level of exposure that these would be. And at this point, Hulk Hogan is the heel and Andre is the face. And the two have multiple matches that end in double countouts uh, in front of very large audiences for the time. 
In fact, Andre doesn't actually defeat Hulk Hogan until April of 1980. But also in April of 1980, a match televised in front of the 19,568 sold-out Philadelphia Spectrum audience, Hulk Hogan defeats Bob Backlund in a 30-minute match via countout. His exposure in major markets is growing, and while he's borrowing heavily from the IP known as Hulk, He's not running afoul of Marvel just yet. Oh, so so, so I got a I got a question real quick. Okay. At this point in his, this point in his development, mm-hmm. um, was he getting this amount of time mm-hmm. because uh, managers were looking at him and going, "Okay, this guy's fucking huge." Was he getting this, or was he getting this amount of time because there was a level of uh sale that that he was legitimately able to pull off like like is this is this his charisma that's giving him these openings or is this or is it some combination thereof like what what is what is getting him this kind of opportunity he is okay so he is the credible threat to the the champion and the championship okay. title always is the main event Okay. Yeah. All right. If it's on the card, okay. it's the main event. So he is a credible threat. And because Bob Backlund is known for a certain kind of match, same thing as if Ric Flair is known for a certain kind of match, right? Okay. Right. Um, Bob Backlund is known for certain kinds of matches. The audience has come to expect a 30 minute from Bob Backlund, usually a victory. Okay. So when it's a double count out or Bob Backlund gets counted out, oh, this Hogan is a hell of a threat. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, mm-hmm. I'm now wanting to know, like, what is his win record at this point? But also, like, how many of those wins were contributed to countouts? Right. Rather than, like, pinning the his opponent or, like, even getting them to submit. I mean, like, you said earlier on he, he did bear hugs. Bear hugs, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, tap. In, in the WWF, remember, they didn't have tap outs yet either. Um, okay. In fact, no, a lot of wrestlers, when the tap out came... Right. Um, it came kind of with um, the the submission match between Bret Hart and Steve Austin because it was refereed oh. by Ken Shamrock. Prior to that, it wasn't a tap out because and and wrestlers have lamented that you've added the tap out because now you can't just say, OK, he nodded and he quit like you have to show the tapping out and that takes away some of the storytelling. But uh, so, but uh, to your question, Hogan is winning much more than he's losing, um, and yeah. his countout victories tend to be against the most popular faces in the territory. Um, and other than that, he is defeating people in four minutes, not quite squashing them, but he is defeating people rather quickly until he's going against the the very known baby faces and and. I'm okay. mostly focused on the Bob Backlund stuff because that's where he's at the top of the card. He's making good money and he's getting exposure yeah. this way because what's about to happen with his name is is due in part to this exposure. So Yeah, um, no, and yeah. and with that in mind, like he's having those quick matches in a way it's telling right. a story like, hey, give me somebody who's more challenging. Exactly. And those challenging matches are going way more longer it's like exactly it's it's kind of like that bully mentality like mm-hmm. give me something better right give me something that i deserve right yeah yeah oh 
so from April through May of 80, he, uh, Hogan and Andre are kept apart for a good long while. Uh, but Hogan is always involved in high profile matches. He's defeating well-known stars, including a squash match of Gorilla Monsoon that led to a riot. And I forgot to note the city. Um, but it led to a riot. And you say squash, Matt. Mm-hmm. Are you referring to like they're in that room and they're like playing, hitting the ball in the racket and all that exactly stuff? Exactly that. Yeah. They filmed Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, all four oh. hours of no. Uh, his squash match is uh, where uh, we come in and in 10 seconds, I've got you beat. Oh. Yeah. I squash you. Like it's, it's, um, King Kong, the best example of a squash would be King Kong Bundy against SD Jones in WrestleMania 2. SD Jones runs at Bundy okay. and misses in the corner. Bundy then literally runs into him, which is his move called the Avalanche. Jones falls yeah. to the ground. Bundy splashes him and pins him. Nine seconds. Okay. So, all right. That makes a, sense. Yeah. A squash is you get no offense in. I show how badass I am. And you can use that on established stars to show like, oh, shit, this guy is the real deal. And usually established stars don't suffer too much because they can come back the next week and get their heat back anyway. They can be like, hey, you know, he got the better of me. I was distracted, whatever. Or he cheated because he's a heel, whatever. Yeah. Well, it's the it's the wrestling equivalent of the trope known as the wharf effect. Mm. Yeah. He wharfed him. <laughs> yeah it's like it. we want yeah. we want to show how how scary the borg are they're yeah. going to beam onto the bridge and they're just going to kick the shit out of wharf yeah. right off the bat yeah. um <laughs> also through april and may hogan's hardly ever losing uh back to your question um and when he does it's only by count out he's not getting pinned by very many people anymore yeah so that's why i asked because mm-hmm. it's like okay so I need this challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm not pinning after what I'm I'm going to say, like, if you last about 10 minutes with Hulk, mm-hmm. you're not getting pinned. The only way for him to win is a mm-hmm. count out, which the only way to win against him is a count out. Uh, yeah. He'll win via bear hug or, or leg drop or something. But unless you're yeah. unless you're champion, then it's he mm-hmm. wins by count out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or he'll get disqualified on occasion. But it's it's a fairly oh, rare that's... thing. But that's a heel thing. Yeah, exactly. Now, in May, he goes to Japan. Um, and speaking of disqualification, he loses to Antonio Inoki uh, via DQ. Antonio Inoki is one of the superstars of Japan. Um, he is the Hulk Hogan of Japan before Hulk Hogan is the Hulk Hogan of the United States. Um, and he also loses to Tatsumi Fujinami in multiple tag matches with his partner, Bad News Allen whom you might remember as Bad News Brown in the WWF. And it's okay if you don't, because he was a mid-card to upper mid-card heel. He feuded with Macho Man at one point. He was the guy who feuded with Roddy Piper when Roddy Piper decided to paint half of his body black. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Bad News Allen also, I think, had a bronze medal in judo. Legit. Like, from the 72 Olympics. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, but Hogan did defeat Ricky Choshu on his own while he was over there, too. Ricky Choshu is a very important wrestler uh, in wrestling history in Japan. Um, And when Hogan returned, he defeated people in handicap matches on taped shows. So he's taking he's one on two. Um, He double bear hugs people. Um, He goes back on his winning ways against established stars, including a match against the legendary Canadian wrestler Edouard Carpentier. 
um, who was really big in Montreal, um, and he defeats him. So he's finally brought back against Andre in July of 1980, and he loses to Andre repeatedly. One of these includes a DQ loss uh, on a live television, uh, live televised match in Philly again. Uh, this culminates in the August 9th, 1980 showdown at Shea Stadium. Uh, this is in front of over 35,000 fans, and Hulk Hogan took on Andre the Giant. He loses, but he loses strong. So he body slams Andre at one point in it. Um, and uh, how? Yeah. Hey, physically, how do you do that? <laughs> well, the guy getting slammed is doing. You lift with your legs. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Andre, I uh, there is a YouTube video out there. It's like two minutes long of people body slamming Andre. Okay. Yeah, including Damn. Harley right. Race. Harley Race body slammed him. I was trying to figure out who the smallest guy to body slam him was. I think it was a Japanese wrestler. Um, wow. All but right. yeah, Andre does most of the work. Yeah. Um. Kind of a little. I don't know if I said this already. Mm-hmm. Um. I used to wrestle a bit in college. Uh. Mm-hmm. Wrestled throughout high school. Walked on on college. Injured myself, and then I. Uh, went separate ways from wrestling and um i remember while it's not like wwf type of wrestling uh we did folk style um we did learn how to like lift heavy things mm-hmm. and there are ways i remember wrestling our heavyweight i was 152 our heavyweight was pushing 280 nearly 300 mm-hmm. um and it's literally just technique yeah um, yeah <clears throat> you but also they help in certain ways too if if you're working yeah. together like yeah, uh, yeah. you'll, you'll see your body weight in certain you. ways yeah. yeah exactly yeah well there and there you go like and remember this is all carny stuff so yeah it's not like andre's dead assing him um yeah. which is the that is the actual term that they used to use uh like so if you don't want if you want to make someone look weak or if you don't want him to put you up or if you want to just fuck with him you dead ass him um, no cap <laughs> Yeah, no yeah, Nice, yeah. There you go. Dead ass. Um, but actually, uh, Owen Hart famously dead assed his brother-in-law. Um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Davy Davy Boy Smith. Um, because Davy Boy Smith and the Warlord were trying to legit figure out who was stronger, and they're like, okay, well, who can put Owen up the quickest? And Owen dead assed his brother, and then just went up light as a feather feather for uh, or for his brother-in-law, and then went light as a feather for Warlord. Because <laughs> Owen loved ribbing people. <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, Hogan uh, and Andre they take their feud to a few more big markets: Pittsburgh, Boston, Montreal, Springfield, at all. Um, and at a September uh, taping in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Hogan gives an interview, calling himself a superhero for laying out Andre. Standard heel stuff, right? But at this point. Classy Freddie Blassie says that Hogan was going to be the centerfold in a magazine with a readership of over 49 million. And McMahon was interviewing him. Vince McMahon Jr. was interviewing him and asked, would it be nude? And Blassie said, yes, it would. This is important as well. Promise of of Hulk Hogan nudity. Um, In September, Hulk Hogan alternates between losing to Andre and defeating all the other big stars. He actually wrestles Gorilla Monsoon in Gorilla Monsoon's last match. Um, <laughs> because Monsoon actually had lost a retirement match against Ken Patera about a month earlier. Uh, Ken Patera, an Olympic wrestler from 1972, um, famous chain smoker, um, 
<laughs> who people like you're a wrestler he's like everybody in europe smokes too it's all right um and patera went to jail for three years for like destroying a mcdonald's uh which cut his career rad yeah um hulk rad. hogan lost a lot to andre the giant that year um in fact i couldn't actually find any real victories of hogan over andre he he loses more by count out and dq than by pinfall against andre um and in fact mm-hmm. His very last match of 1980 is against Andre, uh, and he's disqualified. Um, 81, we see similar results. Lots of televised matches, lots of near 20,000 seat sellouts, lots of exposure, lots of countout victories and DQ defeats against champions. Lots of matches where Hogan fails to slam Andre and then gets pinned instead. But in June, Hulk Hogan wrestled his last match for WWF for that run. And this goes back to the showdown at at Shea. Um, here's the thing: Hogan was offered the part in a movie because of his performance in Showdown at Shea Stadium. Um, however, Hulk Hogan picks up the phone. They offer him a part in a movie, and he hangs up because he thinks it's a prank. Because a lot of wrestlers used to rib each other by giving phone calls, saying, "Hey, it's so and so territory." Pack your bags. We want you. You know, ha ha. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I can see that, especially now. Oh, yeah. Um, but now, Just like straight up, like robocalls and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now he, so he instead goes on a tour of Japan and then he gets a telegram from the uh, producer and the movie star uh, of the movie. Anybody know what movie it was? What is it? Rocky three. It is Rocky three. Sylvester Stallone sends him a telegram. Yes. (laughs) Because. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he gets offered the part of Thunderlips due to his wrestling against Andre the Giant. Um, Now, Vince McMahon Sr. had a strict policy of uh, being the only sugar daddy. Uh, And so he refused Mm -hmm. to let his wrestlers moonlight, even though they were independent contractors. Um, and so he didn't like them moonlighting or getting any income through anything other than wrestling. This in some ways is a, a callback to kayfabe. Like, no, you are this character. You exist only as this, you don't exist in the movies. Um, but also it keeps his control over them. Um, Mm -hmm. he was fairly generous for a promoter, but he still had his limits. And there is some discussion that maybe his generosity was just being kind when he was fucking you. Um, but, uh, he was known in most wrestling territories as being a good payout. Uh, but Hogan knew a good opportunity when he saw it and he took McMahon and his ultimatum. And so he stopped working for the WWF as of June 1st, he did a quick Japan tour and he seems to have gone right to filming and then on to the AWA run by Vern Gagne, who didn't mind Hulk Hogan's moonlighting because Vern Gagne was like, I need a monster heel. And Hogan again is still a heel. Uh, which makes sense if you look at Thunderlips, right? Um, yeah. And of course, the people connected Hogan, uh, connected with Hogan very quickly. And at the end of July of '81, um, uh, Hogan runs in and makes a save on Brad Reagan's against Crusher Blackwell, Blackwell, and he starts a feud with Crusher Blackwell that is going to last through the rest of '81 while he's there. And this is his first time as a face. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. 
So that whole Rocky situation he was just mm-hmm. in um, basically led him to become a face in his in in the um. Oh, what did you say? AWA. AWA. Yeah, it did. Except that the movie's not going to come out yet. Yeah, but still, it, right. it, yeah, it yeah. still is that path. Yes, that absolutely. led him absolutely. to that. Absolutely. And because go on. If if Vince McMahon still had his grubby little paws on him, right? Um, he probably would have just continued to be a heel mm-hmm. and maybe never become the icon that he is today when it comes to w when it comes to wrestling i think so i think so and i think it's a unconscious genius that hulk hogan has to use media mm-hmm. in this way to promote oh, himself absolutely. and advance himself um, he there's a there's a phrase within media literacy mm-hmm. uh we want to teach people how to use media and mm-hmm. not be used by media Yes. And that's he does basically that. what's happening. Yes. Yes. Um, now, at this point, history gets a little muddy. Some people have Hulk Hogan on an extended tour in Japan until the late September of 82 and only joining the AWA at that point. But most sources seem to point to some pretty clear evidence that he was in the AWA as early as July of 81. But by 82, Hulk Hogan is having matches against the champion in AWA, Nick Bockwinkle. Now, Nick Bockwinkle is a smart heel. Um, Andrew, you might remember when Chris Jericho cut his hair and came in wearing a suit and always had kind of a very pursed look and would like chastise it. That's Nick Bockwinkle. He's doing Nick Bockwinkle there. So he's the smart guy heel. The, I will tell you how smart I am. I am a good wrestler. You are all beneath me. That kind of a heel. Oh, my God. He's a Joe Rogan fanboy. Yes. Oh, God. The worst type. I I love that analogy. Oh, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But Nick Bockwinkle is like fucking 45. I mean, he is an old, old man um, at this time. Um, I say that at the age of 45. Uh, But the the AWA (laughs) seems... I was about to say. Um, the AWA. I was like, you guys have some kids. I'm trying to figure out your age. Oh yeah, I'm 45. Ed is um significantly older. Uh, but I'm 29. (laughs) There you go. I just felt a gray hair sprout in my beard. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. You look at both of us. It looked like I dipped my face in graying oil. Um, whereas Ed only has like highlight. He's got the salt and the pepper. I've got mostly sugar and a little bit of cinnamon. So listen, embrace it. You, oh, you I do. Get, we have a choice. Become, become yeah. silver foxes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I have to embrace I'm... it because that's what helps me up out of the chair. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so he's wrestling against the AWA elder statesman, uh, not the oldest champion that they get in the AWA either. AWA runs old, um, but he's he's facing against Nick Bockwinkle, and it's time and time again he comes close, but he never com- completes the journey to the point where fans are clamoring for a change in the AWA. Now, this is what you want as a booker. This is what you want. But this lasts through 1982 as Hogan's popularity is swelling, and this is partly due to his appearance in Rocky III. Um, for $15,000, that's, that's what he was paid for Rocky III, Hulk Hogan got national exposure, and over Memorial Day weekend of 1982, 
he became a household name. Rocky III was tremendously popular, and to date, it's the only Oscar-nominated movie that Hulk Hogan has ever been in. It was nominated for the music, uh, but... Yeah, yeah, but well... For Eye of the Tiger, which was right. his entrance music from 1983 to 1985. That is right. Mm-hmm. Okay. What other movies was he in? I mean, uh, we're probably going to talk time, about it. Yeah, we will. At that time, not much, but we'll get yeah. to Mr. Nanny uh, and Suburban <laughs> Commando. Yes. Uh, <sighs> the, the film grossed over $125 million, and the opening weekend saw it make over $12 million, and Hogan was already over in AWA. And so, just huge, right? Now, this leads to him getting on Carson for the first time. In June, on June 15th, 1982, Hulk Hogan goes on Johnny Carson, and he was gentlemanly, and he was fucking enormous. Um, and he responded really humbly and really soft-spoken and really well to Johnny Carson. He immediately played to the crowd. He mentioned his 24-inch biceps, his 60-inch chest, his 320-pound frame, and he mentioned Hulkamania on national television. This is this predates WWE. Or WWF. He was very yeah. humble. He showed his third grade picture where he's standing out head and shoulders above the rest. <laughs> Johnny Carson played very intimidated and very amazed. It was great exposure all the way around. Hogan kayfabes everything when he answers Johnny Carson. So Carson asks, quote, are the bouts fixed or is, is that a bad question? And Hogan's response is very bad question. Uh, and then he says, I wish they were fixed. This is a quote. I wish they were fixed because then they'd be a lot easier. Uh, professional wrestling is the cream of the co- crop. And he spoke about wrestling main events and that it'd be a lot easier if it was fixed. And Carson asks about throwing people into the ropes and Hogan parried back with, quote, I could make believers out of everyone here. And he's being softball. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. And then he talks about how pro wrestling has no off season, draws a lot of mo- and, and draws a lot more money. And then he speaks of Japanese wrestling. And on this episode, he recalled the telegram story about Stallone's offer. So this is out there in the media yeah. sphere. And he spent a majority of his time on Carson protecting the business. And he ended with Hulkamania's running wild. He says these words. So now he's super over. And it's April of 1983. Now, behind the scenes, it's a totally different matter. He's going against Nick Bockwinkle, the arrogant, well-spoken, scientific, I'm sorry, 48-year-old heel. So he is ancient. So he's, so he's my age. Fuck you. Now, here's what's wild is that that Nick Bockwinkle can talk. He doesn't need a manager. And yet he has a manager, Bobby Heenan. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Bobby, really? Bobby Heenan. Bobby is Heenan. Okay. Manager. Yes. All right. God, Bobby Heenan is such an interesting story. I could read biographies on that man all day long. Do you know Bobby Heenan, Andrew? No, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Bobby the Brain, Bobby the Weasel. It's before my time. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've heard Bobby yeah. the Brain, Bobby yeah. the Weasel. Yeah. So okay. Hulk Hogan is is a young pup. He is 29 years old. So he's 29? Yeah. And no, no. Okay. So it's wrestling Ed. God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what what gets me Mm -hmm. when you say that he's 29 years old, the first thing I think is, you know, for for pro football players, for 
I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to think what other, what other pro sports, like any kind of major contact sport. Mm-hmm. 29 isn't really that young anymore. No. I mean, you, you're, 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 you're hitting your stride oh. at 29. Yeah. 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 It's your big money time. It's usually yeah. your second contract with whatever team. Yeah. Um, you're, you're a seasoned, you're, you're not a seasoned veteran, but you are a, a well-respected veteran and a, you are hitting yeah, your yeah. stride, whatever it may be. Yeah. No. Like, and, okay. and how many years he would be doing this then? Because so the way, like, I, yeah. I'm, he's 29. He began mm-hmm. when like 17, 18, he's, 16. He, so he be, let's see, it's nineteen seventy seven when he starts, and he was born in fifty three. So yeah. he was twenty four when he started. So this is only five six years in. God. Okay, it felt Dude, so. It right. Listening to that, and listening to that, it felt so much longer. Well, it's an odyssey. It's it's the <laughs> it's, it's the you're never going to go home to Ithaca kind right. of kind of nature of the story. And I like to but think ne- my delivery is um apparently not timeless. No, that's so great delivery. <laughs> no, your, your delivery is great. It's just <laughs> now, there's so much fucking going on. There really now is. I'm going to be yeah. Now I'm going to be looking in the mirror uh later today and like looking in my gut and just like what what what? Yeah. <laughs> it was the Taco Bell I ate the other night right, and my right, girlfriend's yeah, going to yeah. be listening to this and she's going to be like Hulk Hogan I love you no matter what. Was on Thunderlips. No, she hates Hulk Hogan, so okay. it's fine. <laughs> okay, good. well, all right, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. She, she'll be like, you have a full head of hair, and I love you. And I'm like, I love you too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, I just look in the mirror, and I'm like, I am a real American. Anyway. Good, nice, yeah, um, good job. Good job, yeah. All and right. there's a story to that song, too. It's so much fun. Oh, okay, so, all right. so I'm looking forward to it, because I have some theories. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. everyone knows who Hulk Hogan is. He's he's got a great body. He's powerful. He's charismatic. He's a movie star. He's been on Johnny Carson. And Nick Bockwinkle comes out first for their match. Now that is unheard of because the champion comes out second. That's how it works. Yeah. Hogan Hogan comes through the crowd, which happens on occasion, but he comes through the crowd to Eye of the Tiger. Um, now by this point, wrestlers were not spending too much time or energy on merch. And Hogan had a few of his own T-shirts made, and they were starting to sell. And that itself would become an issue between Hulk Hogan and Vern Gagne, because Vern Gagne is like, well, I made you, therefore I get all that merch money. But we'll get to that. For this particular match, Hogan had a shirt that said, we want the belt on the front and on the back, now or never. And I watched this match. But to rewind just a little bit, in 1982, Hulk Hogan had 12 matches with Nick Bockwinkle. 11 of them were for the title. One was a non-title. Every single one of them saw Hulk Hogan leave without the title, but plenty he left with the victory, just not via pinfall. And at this point, people are referring to Hulk Hogan as the Incredible Hulk Hogan. Mm, okay. okay. All right. That's going ma- to That's going to matter. Um, but right now, actually, that's where I want to stop us because we're going to find out what happens on April 24th, 1983 in the next right. episode. So, so, so far, um, Andrew, I'm going to give it to you. Like here we've got Hulk Hogan and his nascency. And, and just at the end here, he's really tied into your layer of expertise. So what have you gleaned from this? Yeah. So right off the bat, the first thing I'm seeing is like he, he, 
what, what actually going back to when he was like watching and stalking those other uh wrestlers at going to their bars and gyms mm-hmm. i think he was learning i think he was trying to figure out like okay what is going to be my like a uh, persona what it, how am i going to present myself i think he came in early on with like i want to become the face of this industry and the big thing is is that once he became a face he instantly started trying to sell he was instantly coming in with like this marketing technique of i am hulkamania and stuff like that before Mm -hmm. it was like Mm -hmm. his his catchphrase his moniker whatever and he was he's coming in with the purpose of presenting himself mm-hmm. which that's seeing that line is mm-hmm. really fascinating to me yeah because you can like there are, there are different kinds of wrestlers some are journeymen right yeah some are i'm going to be really good in the ring and that's going to carry me and some are i'm going to market my like it doesn't matter what i do in the ring so much i'm a punch and kick guy yeah um, or or I know how to wrestle, but that's not what's going to get me there. Punch and kick will. And, and I'm trying to think. Like mm-hmm. we talked about Hulk Hogan wrestling Andre the Giant. Yes. Um, and I know there's this iconic moment where Hulk Hogan picks him up and throws him down. Has that is that the body we're not there. You're referring yeah, that, to? That's, we're not no, there yet. No, we're not there yet. That's that's not until 1987. That's 87. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's that's in front of ninety-three thousand people set an indoor record in the Pontiac Silverdome uh in Michigan. That's oh, WrestleMania man. three. Yeah. So so judging from like all this, he in all honesty, he from a media literacy standpoint, like he is using media. Yes. He is using it much more effectively in a sense of marketing. Mm-hmm. What he talked about on the Johnny Carson, the Stallone situation. Yep. Um, And so he's using these types of myths and to build up his brand, to build up who he is. And he took advantage Mm -hmm. of his image. Yep. uh, And those little opportunities to build up who he is. Yeah. And he's great on that Carson appearance. He very much stays humble, soft-spoken. His voice stays down low and that that is a juxtaposition with what you see in the Thunderlip scene. Oh, yeah, and that allows absolutely. you to see him as a good guy in the AWA. Exactly, and, and I, I want to know, like, way. yeah, 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 exactly. And and he he's approachable. He's mm-hmm. in a way, like you said, soft spoken. So that's kind of more appealing to uh, not just younger yeah. audiences, but maybe people you who know. are kind of like iffy on the whole uh wrestling situation and introducing yep. new people because mm-hmm. he's presenting himself in a kind and gentle manner but he's also using humor in a lot of ways that to humble himself yes or humble and, be humble and he's also um he's appearing on a national market mm-hmm. for a territorial system still at this yeah. point you don't have AWA has a really really wide uh reach it gets all the way to San Francisco and it's based in Minnesota but you you still have territories like you do not know about WWF wrestling if you live in you know Arizona you don't 
um no, it's it's no. exceedingly rare like you have to be in one of those lucky cities that has madison square garden network so he no wrestler is a national figure they're all territorial yeah. figures and yet he is getting national exposure and he's using it would, wisely. would he be would he be considered the first nationally recognized wrestler then yes and no so i i how to put this there were 28, 33 different territories. And because the NWA was, in fact, a cartel, um, <laughs> the national champion would go to all the territories and wrestle. He, his circuit was all those territories. He would be nationally known, oh. but only to wrestling fans. Hogan okay. is being nationally known, not for his wrestling, Ooh. though. And I think that but is for... the distinction. Yeah. For his yeah. super stardom. So he or for his stardom at this he point. was he would be considered the first nationally recognized wrestler to a lay audience. Yes. Go, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Then he wins. Now <laughs> yeah. he wins right there. Yeah. Like yeah. Kinda, yeah. yeah. You could say that Antonio Noki might have been the first internationally known wrestler to a lay audience because of his match against Muhammad Ali in 1974. Um, that's true. But that it's still that's kind of niche on some levels. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you got to be into fighting. But <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And we also got to remember the only uh, audience that matters is the American audience. Ah. Right. Yeah. And, and they tried yeah. like, you know, I might need to do an episode on that particular match because that that is a fascinating match. Um, it's boring oh, as I... shit to watch. Oh, my God. Is it yeah. <laughs> but the lead up. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and the that's... after effects are are fascinating because it ruined part of it shortened Ali's career by quite a bit, um, because that's of all the right. blood clots he got in his leg from getting kicked so much by Anoki. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, all right. Um, Ed, have you gleaned anything that you want to share? Or, um, I just I I again <laughs> the the fact that the whole industry mm -hmm. of of wrestling is so tied up in its own myth yes like they're so cannibalizing no well yeah and and there is no reliable history nope because <laughs> the entire thing is based on a fabrication it's all kayfabe. The, the the whole yeah the 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 whole enterprise mm -hmm. is based on the mutually accepted uh, um, mutable myth or <laughs> yeah yeah the yeah. the the, the yeah. fudging the fudging of reality involved mm -hmm. in kayfabe like mm -hmm. if you're if you're over the age of thirteen or fourteen um you recognize that no this is this is sparkly murder gymnastics this is not you know. Uh, you know, this is, there's, there, there is some level of artifice involved, but as a fan, you choose to, to not, not think about that. You suspend your disbelief. And as a performer, mm -hmm. uh, as an athlete, because there are fucking athletes, you, you choose to subsume whatever your actual experience reality is. Mm-hmm into that same that same blurred liminal reality mm -hmm. um and so trying to write an actual history like you could say well i'm writing an oral history 
and okay, that's fine. But if you're like, no, 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 seriously, I'm going to do the research and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what really fucking happened. No, you're not. Right. You're just, it, I mean, it, because it doesn't exist because there's no, there's no ground under your feet, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, there are, there are certain things that you can point to and go, okay, okay we do know that this thing happened on this day between these two people and we have, we have film, right? Right. But anything that happened behind the scenes, who the fuck knows? It's like being a Roman historian. <laughs> yeah, it really. Yeah, and, really. and I, I go back to <laughs> yeah. you really making me spit beer out when you said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like Livy, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So we're not gonna know a fucking thing by the time. Correct. That's what yeah. you're gonna say. Yeah. So and at the same time, oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, but it's, but it's, it's, it is, it is fascinating and enthralling and kind of fucking infuriating. <laughs> I don't doubt that. You know, go ahead. Yeah, no, this this just makes me think about like how myths and like in ways misinformation gets spread. Mm -hmm. It get it begins within like by influencers. In this case, it's Hulk Hogan or the wrestler, and then it goes to more tight niche communities, the wrestlers and themselves, and they start spreading and adapting those those stories so yeah it's kind of really difficult to what is the official oral history of of wrestling or in this case what is the official oral history of hulk hogan yeah and with hulk hogan having that opportunity on johnny carson to basically tell his story Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot more difficult for you yeah, it's it's much more codified and crystallized at that point. So, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. So we don't know if it's accurate. We don't know if it's like honestly, like the whole Vin, the whole Vince McMahon situation where he's like, "Oh, dye your hair red." That's probably the most believable thing, <laughs> right? But you know, but, it, yeah. What what struck me about that one was, you know, nobody comes off looking good there. No, no. So because because nobody 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 looks good, I'm more willing to buy that. Yeah. Like okay. that, yeah. That's not that's not you trying to look better than McMahon than than McMahon Senior, right? And that's not you trying to lionize McMahon at your own expense. You're not trying to be falsely humble and try to make McMahon look good, you know, for for right. you know the sake of the memory of the man or whatever. Like, no, nobody comes out of that story looking. That's good. a good point. Like, like he's a racist yeah. asshole, and you're vain. Like, yeah. so okay, that or I can buy. or they both just had different ideas as to what would appeal to the vulgar masses. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, there's that too. All right. So, so uh Ed, what are you recommending people read? Um in in thinking about the extent to which uh Mr. Hogan, if that is his real name, it's not uh crafted his own legend. Um mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend King of the Wild Frontier, an autobiography of Davy Crockett. Oh, very nice. As as a, an earlier example of somebody in American history just saying, you know what? Everybody wants to know who the hell I am. Here's who I am. Right. And, like, <laughs> I dare you to prove I'm wrong. I love it. You know? So, yeah. Um, and, and the other the other issue was, as I was looking through it, I was like, okay, and where is a scholarly history? Like, where is, where is somebody who's done the real history? And much like with Mr. Hogan, I couldn't find one. Yeah. You're gonna to have to go to the universities that have a Davy Crockett department. Yeah, and you know? and everything everything I was able to find was like, oh hey, Davy Crockett story for kids, and right. you know, 
here's this popular history that undoubtedly draws from his autobiography. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, Livy again. Hi, how you doing? Yeah. Andrew, how about you? What are you going to recommend <laughs> to people? So I got two thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm currently playing uh, Legends of Zelda, Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, it's so <laughs> fun. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's, yes. 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 Oh. I, I'm just really enjoying exploring. I love the open world. Like, for example, like the moment my other favorite video game series is Pokemon. I've been playing it since I was little. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finally did an open official open world game, and I just loved it, even with all the bugs. But this uh, Legends of Zelda, Legend of Zelda is starting is perfecting it. I'm oh, loving cool. it. I'm loving the new like mechanic of like where you can just combine things and basically make as many dicks as you can. Um, there's if you haven't seen it, there oh, there's yeah, a great Kotaku article. TikTok. Yeah. Yep. Somebody just yeah. made a, a man with a fire fire penis. It's yeah. It's yeah. Phenomenal. It's yeah. beautiful. It's art. Um, it's nice to see 1980s glam rock coming back. It really exactly. <laughs> nice. And yeah. What's like the that. other thing? So because I am trying to promote more media literacy stuff, I would also recommend to your audience, check out the National Association for Media Literacy Education, or uh, namely, um, I am associated with that organization, um, and it really provides a lot of insight into how to approach media literacy. I can also drop like the uh, News Literacy Project and stuff like that, another organization that I really like too, but generally like check out these organizations they provide a lot of resources they provide a lot of insight and strategies on how to approach media literacy very nice cool thank you i'm gonna go ahead and recommend uh the comic book story of professional wrestling um and it is a graphic novel uh a hardcore high-flying no holds barred history of the one true sport um by aubrey sitterston or sitterson and chris moreno um, fantastic, especially given what we're talking about. There's a really good section on Hulk Hogan. It's a great discussion of the territory system. So that's what I'll recommend. And instead of letting me and Ed plug our stuff, we're going to turn it to you, Andrew. Uh, plug away. Hi. Okay. Um, oh, what sort of stuff can I plug? Well, you can. My name is Andrew Sutherland. You can follow me. I most I haven't posted in a while, but I plan to. I'm writing scripts for stuff. Uh, you can follow me on TikTok at prof.suds. Um, I mostly talk about media literacy stuff, education stuff, uh, public speaking, or even just generally other communication studies theories. Uh, if you want to feel sad a lot, uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at prof slash underscore suds. Um, I just like things and retweet stuff that makes me frustrated, mostly politics stuff and media literacy stuff as well. Um, so yeah, you can follow me there. Um, I also do research, maybe read one of my articles that I plan to publish in the near future. Cool. None of them are fully written yet. I would love <laughs> that. I will talk about those on TikTok because a big thing that I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to get other scholars to do this, is uh, find ways to get our academic articles a little bit more accessible to the public. Uh, not just be behind a paywall, but try to get them open source in certain ways, uh, ethical cool. ways. Kind of have to make that point. Um, so yeah, um, also support your local news organizations. Cool. Well, thank you. 
Um, well, uh, let's see. First and off, thank local you. teachers. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So, everyone, that was Andrew Sutherland. And for A Geek History of Time, I am Damien Flying Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s, brother.